And hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Word Live broadcast. I'm your host, Mike Dobbs, and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for every time that you stop and watch, and uh, we try to put a broadcast up every week. And so be sure to subscribe and then hit the little bell there to receive a notification every time we put the video up so that you can keep up with what we're doing. We appreciate those that are watching from Norway and and those that are watching from Fiji and Australia. And I wore another bulu for all the folks from Fiji. And uh, just uh, to say that we were thinking about you and we appreciate you being a part, a new part of our audience. Well, we're going back to Genesis and we stopped at verse number 14, talking about the multiple rivers that were coming out of the Garden of Eden. And as we've already said, the garden was a fenced garden. We know that from the word garden. It is the word gone, which means a fenced in garden. And it must have been fenced in because <clears throat> when God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, he placed an angel at the entrance, indicating there was only one entrance. But when we look at the flow of these rivers, and I'm sure they changed during the flood, so there was a lot of topographical changes that took place, a lot of geographical changes that took place during the worldwide flood that took place at the time of Noah. Um, but we do see that there were four rivers that came out of the Garden of Eden, and they traversed the entire area, even all the way down to Ethiopia. So if we understand that, then the garden was quite large, being that it would have stretched from the Black Sea, which is north of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, all the way down to Ethiopia and into northern Africa. And it would even include probably where the Holy Land is today, and that wouldn't be hard to believe because that is a very sacred area to God, and it always will be. So in the 14th verse of the second chapter, the Bible says, "In the name of the third river is Hadekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. Now, the, the word Hadekel actually uh, was the same river that later on the Persians would call Tigris, and we call it the Tigris. And the Tigris and the Euphrates are still rivers that we're very acquainted with. In fact, the Tigris and the Euphrates are the two rivers that in between them we find the beginning of man's civilization, the city of Ur, the city of Nineveh, the city of Rehoboth, the city of Babylon. Mesopotamia, as we call it, is literally the, the word Mesopotamia means the land between the rivers. And the two rivers that it's talking about is the Tigris and the Euphrates. It's ironic that two rivers that flowed out of the garden originally would be the rivers that man would choose to build the first civilization and the first cities. These cities were built by Nimrod, who not only was the father of the Babylonians, but he also would have been a father of the Assyrians, being that Asher is a son of Shem. So the name of the third river is Hadekel, or the Tigris River. And then it goes, and, it, and the Bible is clear, it tells us that it's over by Assyria. And then the fourth river is the Euphrates, which flows way down, all the way from Turkey down into the Holy Land, on, on down into northern Africa. And the Hadekel River is actually a Sumerian name, which that kind of ties it to pre-flood, being that the Sumerian race of people, the Sumerian Empire was before the flood, and they called it Igna by the Babylonians. It was the Igna River uh, or the Indigla River, and uh, also the Diglot, depending on what country you were and, and where it flowed. It was called it's very similar names, but these were different names. And, of course, the old Persian Empire called it the Tigra, and the Greeks called it the Tigris. And that is what we call it today, but it is the same as the River Hadekel that's being mentioned in the 14th verse. And so 
The word kadekel in the Hebrew means a sharp arrow or a piercing sound. And the Kadekel River or the Tigris River, uh, possibly as it would flow through the land, it would make a roaring sound because there were many tributaries that tied into the Tigris, even today, that would cause this river to flow very swiftly and it would be quite noisy as it would pass through your village because of the rock basin and, uh, and the flow of the water over the rocks and through the, the uh, narrow canyons that it went through. And so that would have created a sound as a piercing sound. And that's what the uh, ancients would have related to this Tigris River. Also, Assyria actually comes from the word Asher, and it means successful or resplendent. And of course, he was the second son of Shem. And so the Assyrians would have come from the same line of Noah, uh, because Noah, of course, Noah's grandson was the Nimrod, or his name is Tekulta Ninurta originally, but he was called the Nimrod by the Hebrews, which became the name of their king, Nimrod the first, Nimrod the second, Nimrod the third. It means the rebel. That actually means the strong rebel. Uh, so that was the beginning of Nimrod and ruling the earth and starting idolatry. He later would uh, deify himself as a Nanu, his wife Semiramis as a Nana, and their son was Tammuz. And Nimrod later was killed, and then Semiramis married her own son, Tammuz. And of course, you can see the ungodliness and idolatry that's going on there. And this is the basis of a three-god pantheon religion that begins in Babylon. In verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. We talked about this in the past, but this is the verse that refers to it, that the original order of God's plan was to be preserved by humankind. In other words, God's intent, if you could see this utopia in his mind, he would create Adam and Eve, they would have children, and their children would have children. And the order of God's creation, the purity of it, the perfection of it, would be maintained by mankind. That not only would he dress it, which means to prepare it or keep it, uh, it means to, to keep it looking like it originally was, but he would also keep it, which means he would manage it, and he would rule over it, and it would be his dominion. So God had his dominion, or gave his dominion to Adam over the garden, and garden, the garden was his responsibility, and the order of God was his responsibility. So really, when you look at the real reason that we're here, that God created the masterpiece called man and woman, is because we are first worshipers of God, and second, we are the enforcers or the keepers of his original order. And now that has fallen to the New Testament church. That's why we cannot move with the trends of this world and move farther and farther away from God's original order. Whatever God says is an abomination, it's an abomination today. Whatever God hates, then we must hate. Now, we don't hate the people that are doing it, but we hate the things they're doing because God hates them. So now the church is the one who is like in the garden that is supposed to be keeping the original order of God. Everything that God created and kept original the way he wanted it, that is how we are supposed to do it. And we don't have the right to change it because it is God's order. So all of these uh, other things that are being changed and all of these weird things that society is changing in our world today 
It doesn't matter how much they change it, it doesn't change truth, and it doesn't change God's original order. The word perverted actually means to twist. And so what we are seeing today is God's original order being twisted or perverted into Satan's order. And that is why we have so much confusion and craziness and, and loony ideas that, that semi-intelligent people are supposed to be promoting and, and alternate lifestyles and all of that. That all is a part of twisting God's original order into something that Satan desires to be offensive to God. And hopefully he can cover man that God loves the most with what God hates the most, and that's sin. And so if Satan can do that, then he knows that God will have no choice but to reject the sin in man's life, especially if he will not yield and repent and come to God in relationship with him. So we see this struggle of changing and perverting the original order, and it's up to us as children of God to maintain that order because that is our original intent and why he created us. The word keep there is the word shamar, and it means to hedge about or to guard or protect or attend to or to be circumspect with or to take heed or preserve. Now, the word circumspect literally comes from the Greek word of how to walk a tightrope. You have to have a balance in your hand, and you have to watch carefully where you put your feet. And I can't tell you how to walk a tightrope because I've never tried it and I never will. But you can, you can say that balance is very important and nobody's going to argue with you. And that's exactly what God is saying. Keeping the balance and keeping things in order according to the way he created them. Because when he created them, they were good to him because they were perfect and according to his original desire. So that is something we have to always remind ourselves that our job is to keep God's original order the way he created things. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Now God first is explaining to Adam and then later Eve that I am going to let you eat freely from every tree in the garden except. Now understand, there will always be something forbidden in your life. And here's why. Because God will always give you a choice to obey or disobey. I say it this way when I'm ministering to ministers, there will always be a, gar a tree in your garden. There will always be a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in your garden. Something that God says you don't need to do. And the reason he does that is because now you have the choice to obey or disobey. If he didn't give you a choice, then you'd have, a, you'd have no choice. So God allowed the serpent to be in the garden, and he allowed the tree of knowledge and good and evil to be in the garden, and the tree of life. And he says, you can eat of any of the trees of the garden, you can freely eat except. And this is when he first begins to lay down the law of what they are to do. According to the Bible here, it is the first time we're going to see the word command. And God commanded him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word there commanded is savah, which means to constitute, to enjoin or appoint, to charge or to send a messenger. So he's saying, I'm charging you. I am, I am compelling you. Do not eat of this tree. Now, did God take away the ability to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And the answer is absolutely not. He did not take the ability away. He gave them the availability of the tree, and he left them with the ability to eat of it, if that's what they so desired, because God only wants us to serve him 
by choice. You see, we choose to live for him or we choose to disobey. We choose to live for God or we choose to live for ourselves. We choose to live obediently or we choose to live in transgression. It is our choice. We have to make a choice. You can't stay somewhere in the middle of no choice. You have to make a choice because to choose to disobey means that you have chosen not to obey. And to choose not to obey means you've chosen to disobey. So whatever you decide to do, if you choose to obey, you please him. Obey what? Obey his commandments. What are his commandments? Well, in this case, don't eat of the tree. In this case, keep the original order. In this case, keep my commandments. And this is the first commandment he gives man. And you know, the great thing about God is he's so free and wonderful, so considerate. He said, look, you can eat of any other tree. I don't have a list of trees you can't eat from. There's just one. And I'm telling you not to eat of it for your own good. <laughs> and believe me, anything that God refrains us from or restricts us from or would rather us not do is for our own good. He's a wonderful heavenly father watching over his children. And if I look at my children and say, don't play in the street, they can say why, but, and I don't even have to tell them why, but they have received the command. Now they've got to make their mind up whether they're going to be obedient. But if they play in the street, they put themselves in danger. If they don't play in the street, I have protected them, but I can only protect them so far because they have a choice to obey or disobey. So in the 17th verse, the Bible says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Can you get any clearer than that? <laughs> For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He said, don't you understand? I did leave one tree in this garden so that you can have a choice. I left one tree in this garden so that you have the ability, you have the right to disobey me. But if you will not disobey me, then you will receive my blessing. If you choose to disobey me, you will receive my judgment. It is up to you, your relationship with God. Everybody has a relationship with God. Some have a relationship of, of, of a wonderful love affair, and some have a relationship of intimacy and obedience, and some have a relationship of disobedience and judgment. But all of us will have a relationship of some kind with God one way or the other because we choose to obey or disobey. If you say that you're living for God, then that means he must be your master. If he's your master, then there's really not much you can do without asking his permission because he is the Lord of your life. If you're going to have Jesus as Lord as a bumper sticker on your bumper, then Jesus needs to be calling the shots in your life and you need to be taking everything to Jesus and walk in the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, and let him help you make every decision of your life that is notable and, and is significant. And even those things that may seem to be insignificant, sometimes I believe we ought to give him a say-so and say, okay, God, what do you feel about this? And yes, God talks. I mean, if we say that the devil can tell us something, then I'm sure that God has the ability to also talk to us if we'll just be quiet and listen and allow him to speak to us. So in the 17th verse, he says, this is something you're not going to do. I'm going to give you a command. Eat anything you want to. I mean, there was banana trees and mango trees. Man, I'd love to have a yard like that where I could just walk around and eat. 
course, right now I'm on a diet. That would be a good idea. But anyway, you know, it'd just be nice just to go out and just have a meal with fruit everywhere. And that's the way it was in the garden. But he said, there's just one tree, one, <laughs> that you can't eat of. And wouldn't you know, that's exactly what they did. And, you know, we can say they would just happen by one day. But if the garden is as big as we believe it was, then it was an intentional visit to the tree because the Bible records that this tree was in the midst of the garden, which would mean the middle. And so from wherever direction they were, they would have had to travel some distance to get to this tree. And so it was an intentional visit. And that right there kind of takes away the accidental part of, oh, oops, I made a mistake. No, you didn't. You were led away by your own lust, just like apparently Eve was led away by her own lust to find this tree. Adam couldn't have been too far away and found this tree and then was tempted by the serpent. You see, the serpent really would have had no permission to tempt her if she wouldn't have come to the tree in curiosity and being driven by her own desire to know. Now, the word lust simply means an illicit desire. So she had the illicit desire to find out more about the tree and because she did that, she gave Satan permission as a serpent to tempt her. So it was not something he was violating her. She was allowing him to do it. And we don't ever, we really can never say the devil made me sin. No, the devil put a seed in your mind, which you, your own lust began to conceive upon, and that led you to sin. So we have to understand that if we can stop it at the curiosity level, if we can stop it at the inquisitive level, at the experimental level, uh, trying to be drawn by our own lust, if we could crucify the lust and, and mortify the lust of our flesh, then we would not be drawn toward temptation and we would not be drawn to sin. And so even in the very first two chapters of the Bible, we already see precedents being laid down. God saying, I'm giving you commands. And the commands are not because I want to rule your life. The commands are to show you what I expect and what I don't want you to do. Therefore, now you have a clear choice of what you can do and can't do. And depending on your choice is what you will do according to that command. Commands are there to keep us safe. But if we choose to uh, ignore them or to avoid them, then those commands cannot protect us at all. You know, people will say to me, well, if God is a God of love, how come there's people starving in the world? How come there's terrible things happening in the world? And the answer to that is, if those people will not make a choice to make the Lord of their life, then God has no power in their life at all. He only has power in our life when we allow him to have power. So there are situations, you know, I had a young lady tell me one time that she was abused as a child and she wondered how God could let that happen. And I said, well, the sad thing about it is God wasn't allowed at your house. Your parents would not allow God to be there. They had their own sinful lifestyle. And the last thing they wanted for anybody to hang around would be God. And therefore, you were in a situation because of the sin of your parents that kept God from being able to do anything in your life to protect you. And it would only be by the grace of God that somehow he would intervene to preserve you so that when you came through this, he could heal you and make you whole. And that's what God does. He, he, if he's given any chance at all to heal or to make whole or to restore, he will do it. But he can't do it unless somebody invites him to do it because he refuses to violate our human will. Those that were not on the ark, were they, they drowned. They, they died. 
Was it God's fault? Absolutely not. They chose not to be on the ark. And the ark was the only avenue of safety and, and rescue. And so if we choose not to get on the ark, if we choose not to live a life of salvation and walk after God, then we have made our choice and God has to honor it. And that is why we need to pray for our lost loved ones, that God will turn their heart, somehow cause them to desire him and, uh, and to do whatever it takes to get their attention. That's what we have to pray for. So in the 17th chapter, the word there, die, which is the first time we're going to see this word, uh, there, you, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. In that day, the word there is to die or to kill, and it is the word muth. Now, verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help beat for him. Now, I want you to notice that commands have already made, been made to man. Woman is not here yet. God has told man clearly, don't eat of the tree. You're not supposed to eat of the tree. And the day that you eat of the tree, you should surely die. We do not see God telling him again after he creates woman because he expects man to be the spiritual leader of his home and pass the information of relationship and command to his new wife that God will create and put in his life. And that is the way it should be today. Man, you should be the high priest of your home. You should get in the presence of God and then grab your wife and your children and pull them into the presence of the Lord with you. You should be the worshiper at church and grab your family and pull them in and let them worship with you. We even do that sometimes at the church I've pastored for the past 30 years at Word Alive. There's sometimes I'll say, fathers, get your family Draw them around you. Put your arms around them and pray for them. Pray a blessing over them. Pray, uh, pray the strength of God over them. Why? Because the man is the high priest of the home, and he needs to be leading his home in the spiritual direction that God desires because that is his place of authority. Let's look at the three words in Hebrew for this verse just before we close. Number one, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, I agree to that. And the word there is separation, like a branch of a tree or a bar for carrying or the chief of a city or apart from oneself. In other words, it's talking about even though Adam was the ruler of the earth, he needed a helpmate because he was not complete. God intentionally made man incomplete so that woman would complete him. And that is exactly what we see here. The next word is help, to be a helpmate. The word there is etzar and it means to aid or assist. So he's talking about, I'm going to give you somebody that will be in assistance. They will endorse you, and they will assist you, and you will protect them and provide for them in exchange. The number one need of a woman is security. The man will provide security. The number one need of a man is endorsement. The woman will provide endorsement. And the two of them, both of their immediate needs will be met, and then their relationship will begin to grow as they help one another. One has strengths in one area, the other has strengths in another area, and together they will work together and be strong and successful. And that's what God meant. Then he says, help meet. The word there is neged, which means a front or opposite part, a counterpart or mate, over against before or on the other side. So in other words, it is intended in the scripture that the help meet would be the other gender, that it would be the woman. And so this woman is the other part, the opposite part. She has the opposite part 
in gender. She has the opposite part in body parts because she is the complement to man to bring forth children. And so God made them to come together. He made them to create and bring forth children. That is the reason that God made man and woman and the anatomy that he made a difference so that they would work together and come together to bring forth children. So the helpmate would be the opposite part. She would be the part that he doesn't have and the part that he would need to be able to be creative and productive in his life. Now that's the Bible speaking. That's the words that the Bible speaks and it's very clear. And so the Bible is the roadmap for our life. It's there for us to follow. It's the, it's the creator's manual or the manufacturer's instruction manual for our life. And if we will live the Bible, if we will read the Bible, if we'll obey the Bible, there's our choice to obey or disobey, to read or not read, to live our life after it or to live it after our own opinion. If we will obey him, there are blessings if we disobey him, there is judgment. And that is what the Bible is very clear about. And I hope you're uh, enjoying and learning things here as we're teaching from the Word of God, because we're doing all we can to make the Word come alive to you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Word Alive broadcast. If you enjoyed the video, please give it a thumbs up and consider subscribing to our channel. Once you've subscribed, make sure to click on the notification bell so that you'll be notified each time a new episode is released. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by checking out our Patreon page and signing up for one of the provided monthly tiers. A link to our Patreon page can be found down in the description. God bless you, and we'll see you next time as we continue to make the Word come alive to you.